0: Michael Meader. They call me Pastor Michael, but I really just go by Michael. I'm kind of too redneck for that pastor thing, but it's okay if you tell me that, Um, if you call me that. Uh, The guy up here with the glorious... I just want to say that in the Bible, there was a prophet named Elisha, and some people made fun of him, and it did not turn out well, so do not make fun of Pastor Steve. (laughs) But he is our worship pastor, and I want you guys to know who, that he is over there. And then the guy who did announcements, and I don't know what you call that. It. it wasn't really announcements. It was more like, here's more questions, you know. And so, <laughs> But anyway, that's Michael Longfellow. We're the three staff here. So if this is your first Sunday with us, you kind of know who we are now. And, and uh, there's a lot of other amazing people involved, but we're the, the official staff around here. So, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, rules. Are you excited about talking about rules? You're like yes, woo-hoo, because I'm in Wyoming and we love rules. <laughs> we like to know exactly what needs to be broken, is what we like to know. And uh, actually, the, the real idea of the message is actually freedom. But we got to start with a, in a new place. Got to understand some principles and some rules that work. And so as we talk about uh, boundaries and drawn lines in our life that set us free from the boxes that our culture and our world has trapped us with, we need to understand that there are some principles in play. We're actually going to be covering about ten of them, but we're only going to cover five today because I've only got three hours today to talk. And so he goes, he always says three hours. One day I'm going to do it, just so you know what it's like, okay? But not today. So what if you did not know the rules? What if you showed up? What if today was your first day on earth? You just transferred here from, I don't know, say heaven? First day on earth, and you didn't know the rules. And uh, there's things in play and you had no idea. First of all, you, you walk out onto the planet earth, from whatever, however you got here, and you discover this law you had no idea existed called gravity. You step out of your ship, taxi, whatever, and pfft, face plant right there because you'd never had to deal with standing up on your own before, okay? It's a new law. You never heard it. You, you didn't know. Ignorance would just not be your friend. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, but not, not all the time. And so... You know, you travel along through the day and meet people and so forth, and all of a sudden your stomach starts to grumble. You never experienced hunger before, and so now you're dealing with a, a new law of nutrition and those kinds of things, and, and so you find a restaurant or someone helps you discover what the problem is, and you find a restaurant. You go in and you eat, and you feel much better, and then you get done, and all of a sudden they play a, lay a check on your table, and you've never paid for things before, and so now you are in an argument with the owner, and you are having a loud argument, and pretty soon you discover the law of consequences because the police show up and you find yourself in a jail cell your first day on earth you're welcome (laughs) all because you had no idea what the rules were and one day you discover the law of gravity economics, nutrition uh, judicial system, all these kinds of things, had no idea had to learn it all the hard way okay, well what if a lot of people are living their life just that way you see it's really hard to know the rules that God has made when you don't even believe there's a God. Yeah. When you don't accept that there's a God. When you, when you don't believe the Bible's true. It puts you in a, in a place of, uh, I don't mean to insult you if you're there, if you're still questioning things, but it does put you in a place of a, like a willful ignorance. Because the problem is God created everything. Everything you see around you was God's idea. Even you. Which is signs that he's a little bit on the wild side. Okay? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 8:6, but for us there is one God, the Father, by whom, by whom, follow this change of language closely, by whom all things were created, and for whom we live. By whom everything was created, for whom we live. Next part of the verse. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created, and through whom we live. We live for God and through Jesus. But God made the rules. He established it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're the ones who established what I would call eternal principles. There are just some realities that, are, that exist in our world that you can try and deny, you can try and ignore, you can try and walk away from, but they're real. Now, probably many of you in this room have discovered the, the law of salvation or the law of life. And in that law, you encountered sin. And you realized that there was sin in your life and you had done things wrong. And you owned that sin. And then you discovered the law of grace and then the law of life. And just for an aside, if you didn't discover the law of sin, you have to discover and own that before you can discover the law of grace and the law of the Spirit of life. One has to come before the other. Okay? God loves you but we have a problem that He has to solve and we have to, we have to enter into that solution that He has for us. There are other laws. There are laws that govern our relationships, our marriage, the way we parent, the way we live. There are actual laws in the Bible from God that deal with economics and finance and, and laws of reaping and sowing, laws of giving and receiving, all those kinds of things. There are all these laws that exist. Now, if you're like me, you're like, in your heart, nobody's telling me what to do. I make the rules. I break the rules. You say that because you're human and under the curse, okay? But it is kind of a hard thing that's within us. So I want to I encourage, so I want you to bear with me because i got some qualifiers here. You have to hear the whole sermon. Don't just get mad at one little part. Get mad at the whole thing. Okay? <laughs> We should learn to love the rules. Hear me out. Hear me out. We should learn to love the rules. And I know some of you are sitting there going, no, no, brother, I'm under grace. I don't love the rules. I don't know why it is when I put a negative personality in my head, they always have a southern accent. I'm sorry. It's it's because there are actual voices in my head of people I used to know. I mean, someone I used to know. Isn't that us? Never mind. Stop. Stop. Stop it. Okay? So because we need to learn to love the the rules because ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket or some kind of ticket and you didn't know the speed limit had dropped? And and you realize they did that because they were setting you up anyway, but oh, the man. (laughs) Psalms 119.14 says this. This is King David now. This guy has actually the resources to do anything he wants to with his life. He's the king. He's got the power and the resources, the finances, the money, and here's what he says. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Here's a man who figured out we need to love the laws. We need need to not just be hurt by them and offended by them and struggling with the fact that they're challenging, but we need to realize that they're good for us and we need to find a place in our heart to love them. In fact, I will throw this out there totally for free. It's not included with the price of admission, okay? Biblical principle is something that anyone, lost or saved, believer or non-believer, can use. In fact, I would argue, and I could argue it well if I had time, that most of business, most of the positive attitude realm, a lot of false religions out there have simply discovered biblical principle and used them illegally for success. Okay? They're just simple laws that are in place, and I'll discuss that in just a minute as we get into a couple of laws, how that, they, that's just how they work. Okay? They, God's law just works. Okay? And so a lot of people have figured that out. So today, we're going to get into this. But as we talk about the laws, I also want to tell you this. We should never live in a way that we need to worry about breaking God's laws. God's laws are not the standard. They're the baseline. Jesus is the standard. Okay? Jesus lived way above the law. He never had to work. So here's the law. So this is how I like to picture it. There's like, it's like this big open pasture. We're all a bunch of sheep. I was talking to some guy a couple weeks ago. I can't remember who it was. He says, I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a goat. And I said, no, nope, you want to be a sheep. <laughs> you can be a Jacob sheep. Have you ever seen a Jacob sheep? Oh, they're cool. Yeah, big horn yeah a bighorn sheep. That's right. We discussed bighorn sheep. It was oak back there. That's right. Thanks, man, for owning that. When they see you, they'll go, I'm not saying anything about it to him. <laughs> but how i picture it is here's god in the center here's the sheep in the pastor and there's this way out there there's this fence that's the law and god says don't get out of my pastor don't cross the fence the problem with the fence is the front, the fence is the farthest thing away from god without totally rejecting god and so when we as christians are worried about the law we're really saying god you know you're okay, you freak me out a little bit, but I'm going to just stay as far away from you as I can and still go to heaven when I die. That's a very carnal approach to God. I don't want that for you, okay? Because it's so much better to get close to Papa. Get as close to Father as you can. So I don't want you to live that way. So I want to give you a biblical basis for that thought, two of them. Isaiah 28 God says this. So the word he, there's a pronoun. It's in the place of God because I'm jumping in the middle of a prophecy. And God says, he said to them, this is the place of rest. Here, Father, right now, this is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose. That's Papa's heart. That's Papa's heart. He wants you to rest. Jesus echoed it in Matthew 11. Come to me, you who are labi, la, who labor and are heavy burdened. Come to me. Father wants rest for you. I know that's not what a lot of you are experiencing, but that's what Father wants. And that's what he wanted for the nation of Israel. But this is what happened. At the end of that, he says, this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. And then we jump into a a passage of Scripture that's heavily quoted by precept ministries and everything everywhere else, but they don't often tell you that the reason it's quoted is because people rejected God's rest. So you jump into verse 13, and the Word of God goes on to say, Then, okay, so God says, I want you to rest. Please come to me and rest. This is the place of rest. We don't want that. We don't want to listen. Verse 13, Then the Word of the Lord came to them. Law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here, a little there. So they go stumbling backward to be broken, trapped, and captured. God wanted them to have rest. The people wanted to know where the fence was. And it created a whirlwind of problems for them. Your Father also wants you to have rest. In fact, I challenge you, make a note right now. Read Hebrews 4 when you get home. Just read Hebrews chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages on rest. It talks about, it. It, yes, it will give you a little bit of indigestion. That's good. If you're reading the Bible and it's not bugging you, you're not reading it well enough. Okay? I, can always, know, I always know a student of the Word because they're always struggling with something. Galatians, Paul says this about the law. He says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Verse 24. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as a guardian. So today I'm going to cover five laws that deal with how to draw lines. They're really just principles that fit into every aspect of life. But I need you to understand they're the baseline, not the standard. And the reason I'm sharing them with you is so you can realize that you may be living in a way that's creating consequences in your life. You're living on the wrong side of the line. You're living on the outside of the fence. So today's goal is not to say, well, okay, let's get on the other side of the fence. Today's real goal is to set you free to run to the Father. To set you free from being on the wrong side of the fence, imprisoned in a culture and a world that opposes God in every possible way. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to say amen, but I want you to hear it. Imprisoned in a world in a culture that opposes God in every possible way. Okay? That's where people are trapped, all right? Okay, amen, thanks. Now, gravity. Gravity is a baseline, a law. You step out your door today, it's actually what kept your car on the road for the most part. <laughs> this year, my wife and I went to Florida. We got a little getaway. It was great. I'd like to do that. From now on, it's <laughs> a little getaway. Um, we flew. I know, you're like, his arms are not strong enough. It was cool. We, we flew, and I actually just sat in a seat, and they flew. So, But there's this law of gravity. If you live your life just worried about the law of gravity, you're just stuck on terra firma. But if you, if you uh, one, either learn the law of economics and can afford a plane ticket, or two, understand the principles of drag and thrust and lift and weight, understand that there are other laws that can lift you higher than the law of gravity. Same principle holds in the kingdom. For example, Jesus talked about lust in his sermon on the mount, how that even looking at a person with lust in your heart is a sin and the problems it causes why did he do that well he's establishing a baseline sure but then he was also going to establish ideal with his life so the law of lust tells me i'm not supposed to lust after other per- people i'm not supposed to use them in my imagination or physically but once i get free of the law and i begin to live a love of the law then i enter into laws of life of respect of encouragement, and then those that you used to lust after, now you encourage, bless, lift up, strengthen their identity in Christ and their freedom. There's a way higher law. The problem is, a lot of times we come to the Scripture and we were looking for the rules. Well, okay, and we try not to lust. Well, I'm going to tell you what, we'll never beat sin fighting sin. You can quote me on that. We'll never beat sin fighting sin. We'll only beat sin when we love righteousness more than sin. Right. I'm telling you, oh, oh, I'm a, this isn't personal enough yet. Let me really dig in just a bit. You know, we live in a time where we get mad really easy. We get mad at a lost world for acting like a lost world. We get mad because we, we are angry at and, and hate the unrighteousness that's out there. I'm with you. I feel the same way. However, we're never going to beat unrighteousness hating unrighteousness. If we were honest, the real reason we're mad is because we love so much unrighteousness ourselves and we prefer it not be revealed. Ouch. But when we learn to love what's right, to love what God loves... We're going to find a freedom that will not just free us, it'll free the world we live in. That was a whole other sermon from some other place, okay? Let me jump into these laws because eventually I will run out of time. It's, it's not infinite. So we're going to look at five laws. Let's start with the law of sowing and reaping. A baseline, not the standard. Jesus is the standard, but a baseline. If I find, as I go through these laws... Holy Spirit may push a button for you. He may give you an idea. He may put a word in your mind. He may tell you you need to do something. Okay, Uh, So I don't know how you take notes. Maybe you write it down on a piece of paper. Maybe you write it on your hand. You guys are the original Palm Pilot people. You make notes on your actual hand. (laughs) My mother wouldn't let me write on myself as a child, so I can't do it, but nonetheless. Maybe you type it in your phone. I don't care how you do it, but here's what I do care about. When Holy Spirit talks to you that's serious, write it down. Remember it. Amen? Can you do that? Okay, so let's jump into Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 out of the message, because I know you guys love the message. Verse Galatians 6 and 7. Most of you don't care, but there's a few of you going, oh, no, not the message again. He's just so liberal. Anyway, so Galatians 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. What a person plants, he will harvest. Pause. Let me just dig this in a little bit. This isn't meant to really sting, but we need to wake up. The the fruit of the life you are living right now is the one you planted. You're living off the fruits of yesterday. Okay? Just just wrap your heart around that. You don't have to to beat yourself up with it, but just own it. Okay? Okay? The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have, and all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. That's good, huh? That's a principle. That is a principle you will never break. You can try and break God's law, but they will always break you. Okay? It's the truth now. So, here's the thing (laughs) this is just how things are. This is just how things are. You reap what you sow. This isn't God's punishment on sin. A lot of people think they get into hard parts of their life and they're just living the consequences of their own actions. God's not mad at them, God didn't judge them, they just did something stupid. And reaped a weed. It was just natural order of things. Okay? And then we blame God for it. Oh, God's out to get me. God's ruining my life. No. God loves you. He nailed His Son to a cross to lift you up and pull you out of your consequences. But if you keep living on the wrong side of this law, you're going to keep reaping a life of weeds. That's just a reality. We need to own that. We need to... This is so important. It's so important that we stop blaming God for the seeds we planted. Okay? Yeah. I know that's not totally comfortable, but we need to own that, okay? You ever do that as a parent? You have a, a little child or maybe your grandparent and you're just a little bit mean? Because most grandparents are a little bit mean. <laughs> you're having a hot soup, you give them, give them the soup, and then you say, listen, that's hot. Don't eat it just yet, Okay? and they listen every time right <laughs> first thing you know boom, hot soup ah! you don't even have to punish them they punish themselves <laughs> that's what consequences are about consequences are about letting people experience their own consequences this is one of the things that's powerful about this law you overspend you'll be broke God's not mad at you you just overspent you get fat and unhealthy because you didn't eat well. That's not God's judgment. That's just the consequences of your sin. Inversely, uh, you, you turn around and you save and you invest or you take care of your health, you reap a different set of consequences. You're not even blessed at that point. Just just consequences. Do you see how even an unbeliever can use the law of sowing and reaping to have a pretty good life? Wake up in eternal judgment, but nonetheless have a pretty good life. Okay? Now what though? What happens when we interfere with the consequences? And this is where it comes into the discussion of boundaries. So, like for example, you knock a glass off a table. The consequence should be a broken glass, but your reflexes are quick because you have toddlers and you know how to move fast. And so, boom, you catch it. You interfered with the consequence. Well, great, you saved a glass. But what if it is your child or your spouse? or a good friend what if it's at work and you have that that fellow employee that you like them they're okay but they're tardy every day they're always late and you carry the load for them you bear their consequences every day what are you doing you're interfering with the law of sowing and reaping and that person will not learn I know we as humans love to think that if we could just learn information that we can change our lives that is not true the greatest teacher of a human being is pain I have boys I know (laughs) I was thinking this morning I have raised boys in three different decades three different decades oh my gosh 27 years of teenagers is there a prize for that or why did we do that what were we thinking your child misuses their funds but you accept the consequences miss an opportunity for them to learn Um, you have an abusive, controlling person in your life that keeps rolling their consequences on your wagon. This is where this law comes into play. We need to realize God established the law of of sowing and reaping. I'm supposed to reap my consequences. You're supposed to reap yours. Does that make sense? That's how this works. If it doesn't work that way, then we are enabling people now I know why this happens, though. I know this happens because I have my own issues. I know it's hard to believe. You're looking at that guy could not have any issues. <laughs> he, has, he has issues. I have my own issues, and one of those is a lot of times we're uncomfortable uh, with confrontation. Anyone else? You don't have to raise your hand, but just give me the look, the peaceful look, if you're uncomfortable with confrontation. I know you don't want to be. I, just, I, just, I really don't. And some of you are like, "No, bring it on! Yeah!" Right up here, just, to, just right If you need confrontation, I got a confrontation coach right up here. So anyway, so, <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Proverbs 9, 8 has this cool verse that says, So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise, for they will love you. Jesus also had a passage where he talked about casting your pearls before swine. Not everybody's open to confrontation. And if you come to boundaries and the idea of lines in your life, and your real interest here is, I need to get these other people to stop, that won't work. Okay? Boundaries are not about stopping or controlling other people. Boundaries are all about you, decisions you make. You have to eventually own the, the fact that y- you're making all of your decisions. Oh, let me try that again. You have to own the fact that you are making all of your decisions. Amen? Own oh, me, grab you like a barbed wire girdle. <laughs> it's an old Tennessee expression. <laughs> Everybody under 30 is like, what's a girdle? Oh, they were hilarious. You should Google it. <laughs> you should Google that. Anyway, so you're going to have fun all afternoon. <laughs> anyway, law of sowing and reaping. It, it's a real thing. You can't break it. You can't avoid it. it. It's just you get what you sow. Other people should get what they sow. Other people should get what they sow. That's the beginning of, of, of boundaries. This will help you as a parent. This will help you as a husband or a wife. Other people need to carry their responsibilities. Now, that doesn't mean we don't help them. We'll come to that in just a minute. But I'm just, just understand, the person who sows should reap the consequences. That's how that should work. Okay, next law. Law of responsibility. Law of responsibility. I'm responsible for me, but to you. Paul says this in Galatians. You've been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters. You've been called to live in freedom. 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 Doesn't that sound good? How many of you guys want to put on your blue war paint and just go, Freedom! Yeah! (laughs) Call to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. See, we talk about the law of responsibility. We have responsibilities. I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my choices. I'm responsible for my feelings. I'm responsible for my emotions. You're responsible for your feelings, your emotions. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. But I'm also responsible to you. That means you have things in your life that are burdens. Last week we talked about the toils of life, like your backpack and your boulders. And so you have your backpack in life you're supposed to carry. They're your daily uh, cares and the things you're responsible for. But sometimes in life we have our boulders, those big crushing weights. I'm responsible to help you with those because that's not love if I don't. God says, I want you to be free. You're not free if you have no choice. I know that sounds really remedial, but think about it. You're not free if you have no choice. God gives you choices. Even with Him, He gives you choices. You always have a choice. They may be lousy choices, but you always have a choice, okay, that you make. And so I need to learn that issue of responsibility. And if I learn that, then I realize I'm no longer responsible to rescue someone else from their immature or immoral behavior, okay? That's enabling, Okay, that's enabling someone else to continue in an unhealthy lifestyle. Remember, we're to love one another, not be one another, okay? When we're trying to be someone else, uh, we're moving into the land of controlling. The Bible says this and adds a few some texture to it. By the way, man, I love Proverbs. It's a great book filled with wisdom, but it's wisdom, and wisdom is different than just absolute truth, okay? And so you have to realize when you read Proverbs, that you're not reading a a way of life to actually be in every circumstance. You are being given all the principles by which those decisions can be made. You're given a a bunch of options that are healthy and some ways to identify unhealthy things. Proverbs 19, 19 says this, hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. Get it? You believe that? You ever experienced that? It's right. Okay. Proverbs twenty-three, thirteen. Out of the Passion translation, don't withhold appropriate discipline from your child. Go ahead and punish him when he needs it. Don't worry, it won't kill him. I just had to say it like that. That's totally why I use the Passion translation right there. It's not my favorite, but it that line was just too good to pass up. All right. There's that strong strand throughout the Bible that we limit sin and we help needs. Okay, so that idea, and so keep that in mind. We are responsible, but I'm responsible for me, and and you're responsible for you. I'm responsible uh, for myself. You're responsible for yourself. Look at Philippians 2.12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. There's Paul's contribution to the church at Philippi. He taught them, and he gave them instruction. He gave them the gospel, helped them in the Holy Spirit, all these things he did. That was him. That was Paul being responsible to them. Now look what happens. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So you see, here's Paul responsible for Paul and the Christians at Philippi Philippi responsible for the Christians at Philippi. It's a simple principle so that we have these responsibilities. He goes on to say, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So let me give you a, a little helper. Who's responsible here? So I learned this lesson firsthand this week. So I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details, but my wife and I and, and everybody in our circles really is working on this boundary thing. What's me and what's you? What am I responsible for, and what are you responsible for? Well, I notice that there's a trap that we can fall into really easily. And it's this trap right here. Well, that's your yard. I'm out. That's kind of what we want to do, right? It's like, I'm sorry, I can't deal with all that that's going on over there, so I'm going to stay over here. That's not going to work in your marriage, boys. <laughs> Ladies? And so something I think God taught us, and it took me some, some, some real reflection, and I don't even, a whole lot of emotions, I guess, and thoughts and feelings. We men have one emotion, anger. We, we boil them all down frustrated, angry, sad. It's all anger for us, okay? Um, I realized something, that someone else's feelings and emotions and thoughts are their yard, their responsibility, but I'm responsible to them. I'm not here to control their thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I am responsible to help them with those crushing things that are weighing them down. So for you men, sometimes that means instead of checking out and walking away from your wife when she's having an emoti day, you know what I mean by an emoti day, bad hair day, I don't know. Instead of freaking out and walking out and shutting down, I want to challenge you. Pull in. Sit down and be there. Here's why this is going to blow your mind because it ain't about you. You're like, oh no, it is. It's because I forgot to change the oil in the car. I didn't take the trash out. Oh no, that's not it. That's that's what you're hearing. That's the attack you feel, but that's not what's going on. Number one, you have an enemy in your marriage that the number one thing he wants to do is break it up, he wants to end marriage. Yours, specifically. Number two, your, the other part of you, whether it's your husband or your wife, is an emotional being. There's a reason God gave us emotions. Shutting them off is not an option. Shutting off your emotions and feelings will ruin your life. You will, you will end up at a place where you cannot love and you cannot feel love if you do that. Don't do it. It's a very painful place to be. And so, guys, if you'll pull in, ladies, if you'll pull into that angry husband and listen, I'm not saying you have to put yourself in a dangerous situation. I'm not saying that when someone's looping in their anger, you don't you you have to stay there. But you can come close enough and help someone carry their burden. You're actually responsible to do that. We love each other. Does that make sense? I know you think your spouse is crazy. You are too. This is a room full of mixed nuts. (laughs) Brazil nuts, peanuts, all kind of nuts. It's not about whether or not the other person's crazy or not. It's it's about whether or not love and they're crazy can build a relationship in your life. I'm going to tell you what, when God's in the middle of it, he can. So, we have this responsibility. I'm going to give you one free tip here. A lot of times we, uh, we automatically say yes when presented with a situation, we always enter into something. And I want to encourage you to start asking the question, one, who's responsible here? Who's responsible here? Two, when I say yes, what am I saying no to? When I say yes, what am I saying no to? And, and I also want to, here's the free tip though, I, was, I said all that to get to the free tip. If you're in a situation where a person has to have an answer from you right now, you're being manipulated, okay? And in that point, you, you just need to say something that gives you time to find out who's responsible, to find out what you're saying no to. Okay? Amen? Yeah. Simple tip. Okay? Free, I'm telling you what, price of admission gets you a lot around here. <laughs> Third law, the law of power. We do have some power in our lives, but it's not the power that we think it is. Okay? And uh, we, we have power over We don't actually have power over other people. Am I okay? I faded there. It was actually my voice that just went out. No, I'm just kidding. So, it's our human nature to really try and change people, right? Anyone ever try to change someone else? <laughs> the, the laughter rolls across the room. <laughs> you were doing it at the altar, weren't you? You were like, they're getting married. and said, so, you know, he's, he's really wonky now, but I'm going to fix that. <laughs> and it worked out great. So this is the law of power. We do have power in certain situations. So so Paul says this in Romans chapter seven. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead I do what I hate. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. So you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound like an empowering verse. It's not an empowering verse, it's a reality verse. It helps us see that there are a lot of things even inside of us that we don't have control over. We don't have the control we think we do over. So the law of power moves into another way of thinking, another way of looking at power, that we have power for different things. So you do have power to do this. You have the power to search for truth. You can open a Bible. You can go to church. You can get a mentor. There are ways that you can find out what's true. You have the power to accept the truth. You may not have the power to actually activate it in your life, but you can accept it, that it is true. You can submit to God. It's called repentance. I let go of my will, my way that never works, and I submit to God in His way that does work. You can turn from evil. I realize it's going to keep calling you back, but you can turn from it. You can turn another direction. That's another aspect of repentance. Here's a big one. You can humble yourself and ask God and others for help. But that takes humility to ask for help, right? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, which I've shared before, but I think it's it's worth repeating. It says, Each time God said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So when you own the power of humility, the power of turning back to God and resting in God, you step into the actual power of God. And then things can change. We can make amends. We can't change others, but then we can enter into a way that we can influence others. We can't demand things from others, but we can demand things from ourselves. We we can become a person who's free rather than demand people, let us be free. So, and you're also free to remove yourself from situations. I guess I should throw that in there. One of the most powerful things you can do in boundaries is realize that, you know, I have a controlling, abusive person in my life. I don't have to be present for that. Okay? It doesn't mean I walk out of every situation, it just means that I can can, uh, set limits on what I. Need to do and what I choose to do because I have choices. You choose. Once you own that, you realize that every situation you're in is a product of your choice. If there's ever a situation where you're saying to yourself, I didn't have a choice, you're self deceived. You do have a choice, okay? It may not be the choice you like, but you do have a choice. And uh, maybe we need to ask ourselves why we don't make those choices. A lot of times it has to do with fear. We're afraid. I tell you, one of the biggest fears we have, one of the fears, this won't hit all of you, but a lot of times we're we're afraid we're going to lose our identity. Some of you guys, your identity is in being a people pleaser or in being a controller or something. Okay? And sometimes one of the fears we have is that we're going to lose our identity. So where's your identity supposed to be as a child of God? Who's it supposed to be in? Christ, Jesus Christ, He's your identity. If you don't get that identity piece right, then you're going to spend the rest of your life looking for an identity, when you've been given one through Christ. Okay, so I just—if that's a fear—if you realize as I'm talking or as you think about this message later today, there's me being optimistic that this sermon will last longer than the 45 minutes I deliver it. Uh, that you you can look at it later and think, "All right, God, where's my identity? Where's my value?" Okay because it should come through him. So, law of power. Now let's move into the law of respect, because I'm running out of time, because I had too much fun earlier on something. I don't know what. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So that's one of our favorites. We love that one. And so let's go on down to Matthew 7, 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So the law of respect is simply this. If I want you to respect my lines, I need to respect yours. And I was going to spend a long time talking about that, but as I was praying this morning, I realized I needed to, to deal a little bit more with the caveat. Which is, So let me, let me say this, and then I'll get to the caveat. We need to respect each other and not judge each other. Just because you don't do life the way I think life should be done, does not mean I get to judge you. I think judgment always has with it a sense of condemnation or alienation. So what judgment really is, whether it's um, judgment can be negative or positive sounding, meaning that I can say, oh, I support you in all of your decisions, but then I judge you and make sure that you are way outside of my box, outside of my lines. Okay, that's the same thing. It may sounds positive sounds like we're being supportive, but we're really just alienating people. That's judgment. Um, we're not here to alienate people. People are alienated. We're actually ministers of reconciliation. Our job is to help people reconcile with God. Okay. So back to the caveat. So I should respect your decisions, your choices, those kinds of things. You have the freedom to be and live in, in your yard, so to speak, in your boundaries. And, and I'm, I, I don't assume the authority to tell you otherwise. But there is this thing. What if your choices are hurting the innocent? Then someone has to fight. I may not be talking about a fist fight, but someone has to stand up and do the work of confrontation when there are innocent lives at stake, when consequences are hurting other people and those other people are powerless to do anything about it, but you are. Does that make sense? That's still respect. Respect okay? Because I respect you, but when your actions are hurting the innocent and disrespecting other people, I also respect them. And I need to step up the plate and confront. This is still all driven by love, but I'll get to that in just a minute. But this is an important part. But we do need to not judge each other and not assume that everyone should live life like we live life. A lot of times we do that, you know? You're not doing it the way I do it, so that's wrong. Well, that, that's not good. If we're actually walking in the Spirit, hear this, hear me out. If we're actually walking in the Spirit where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? So when I'm living in the spirit of judgment and condemnation of others, which is alienating them, what spirit's that? It's not the Holy Spirit. But it is a religious spirit. So we we need to keep our eyes on that. Okay? All right, so I don't try to fix you, Um, even though you really need fixed. I don't try to do that. All right, okay. So the law of respect. Let me jump in last to the law of motivation. Okay. For me to be able to say a wholehearted yes to you, wholehearted yes, I need to be free to say no. Does that make sense? Then this is what the the law of motivation is about. What motivates our yes? Is it the fear? Is it that we're afraid of what people say about us or our identity being lost or whatever kinds of things? Because fear is not love. And God doesn't want me moving in the spirit of fear. He doesn't, that spirit didn't come from Him. And, and my actions begin to, um, I guess we're going to check this, remind me we need to check this headset out. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says, If I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love actually has to be our motivation. But we cannot act out of love if we don't have the freedom to say no. We have to be free to love. We have to be free to love. That's why God gives us freedom. That's why He didn't just make us robots. That's why He didn't just zap us on the earth. Poof, you're there. Love me. He gave us choices and he wants us to choose to love him. Does that make sense? And so it has to be the same way with us. So we need to start paying attention to those motives in our life. What is driving us? What motivates us to do the things we do? Because a lot of us are motivated by guilt, some of us are motivated by shame. What's the difference? Guilt concerns what I have done. Shame concerns who I am. Shame. And so, so we are motivated by those things. Sometimes we're motivated by, uh, what, payback? Beholden to people? Are you ever that way? Because I am. You're like, I don't think I want you to do anything for me, because then I'm going to feel beholden to you, like I owe you something. You ever been like that? I tell you what, if you're in ministry, that's a real hard. You, I bet Michael and Steve know exactly what I'm talking about. There's, there's times that people have used things against you over the years, and it makes you like, put up these walls, not fences, walls, very different things. So, uh, is it a need for approval? Am I motivated by that need to, for, to be approved of? Am I m- motivated by my need for an identification in the things that I do? Simple rule is this. Freedom has to come first. Then service comes in love. I have to be free to make choices. If I don't feel that freedom, then I'm moving out of fear rather than love. I want to do, in fact, here's here's where I'm at. I'm at a point in life, and I love being in Wyoming because Wyoming is a lot more frank than a lot of other parts of the country from Tennessee. They call it southern hospitality, but I I call it something else that's not nearly as flattering. (laughs) It's simply this. We used to, when I grew up, you never knew what someone was actually saying okay they would say one thing but mean something else so i like i came to wyoming and people are like hey i don't like you and you're like okay well, that's nice at least i know <laughs> so anyway sorry that cracked cracked me up there and just had a flashback a memory those kind of things um one th- one of the things i love about here what i would rather have from people is an honest no, than a begrudged yes. I mean, if I ask you for help, and I need you know I need help even moving. I know the greatest sin of all asking someone to help move, and I need help with that. The boundaries is you, you say yes or no. That's it, real nice and simple. You don't say yes when you don't when you want to say no, and and when you come and help me move and we, have. Pizza and soda and laugh, and we actually do it in love and enjoy each other. Moving next Thursday. No, I'm just kidding. That's not actually happening. <clears throat> the real issue here, though, the motivation, the real issue here is love. Love is the real issue concerning boundaries. It's the real issue of everything simple, love, and honesty. And if we are honest and we operate out of love rather than resentment, out of, being, out of grudging with no joy, anger, those kind of things, what's going on? This sermon isn't meant to make you feel guilty and send you home. This sermon is meant to help you understand that there's things going on. And when you have these feelings, have resentment, have the anger, what's it telling you? What, it's telling you something about your motivation. It's telling you about something about your relationship with the people that you have the grudge and the feeling, the resentment about. And even though you may strongly uh, disagree with me on different parts of this message, that's okay. just need you to understand this. There are real factors, emotions in play in your life stop ignoring them stop ignoring them be honest with you and with other people in your life and learn to love those kind of people the real question i guess as we end this is today i've covered five laws next sunday we're going to have a state of the church address we're just going to vision and celebrate next sunday a bit and then the sunday after that we'll come back to the other five laws but as we do ask yourself am i breaking these laws Am am I down here below the baseline, and that's why I'm having consequences? And I've been blaming, you may have even been blaming that on God. God, you just won't give me a decent person in my life. You won't give me a decent relationship. We have all these problems in our marriage. Instead of blaming God, ask yourself, am I breaking the rules? Am I living below the line? And realize just getting over the line isn't the goal. Getting close to Father is the goal. Getting back to Eden's the goal, but that's another sermon series coming later this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us a word. You give us these truths and principles by which to live our lives and guide us. I thank you that you don't keep these a secret, that they're not complicated. I thank you that, Lord, that when we teach on these things and we open up the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is always there to take these principles and and to bring them into our hearts, into our yards, so to speak, and begin to nurture us in those truths. Father, there are people in this room today that need need help, they need courage, they need freedom, they need someone else to pour in them. And Father, they're afraid to reach out for that. They're afraid if they do that they'll lose something, identity, uh, someone's approval, something. And Lord, I can't set people free. And I can, I, can sh- I can show the gates of glory and even struggle entering them myself. But Lord, you can escort people through through those. You can bring people into a place where they're willing to humbly ask you for help and ask others for help. And Lord, as I pray, I'm thinking also of the people on my right and on my left that are going to be there to pour into people as we sing this last song and then after the service. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us the courage to let someone pour into us. If you're here today and you need freedom, you find yourself living below the line, let somebody pour into you, pray for you. Father, I pray that you would bless this body. In Jesus' name, amen.